Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, the last time that we had Rihanna Pfefferkorn on the podcast, it was July of 2020, and she was here to talk about the Earnit Act, uh, a bill that simultaneously seemed to want to destroy both encryption and Section 230 in a single bill. Uh, now it is nearly two years later, and she's back to again talk about the Earnit Act, uh, which did not pass two years ago, but uh, is suddenly back with a vengeance and is still trying to destroy both encryption and Section 230. Uh, and so we have concerns. Uh, Rihanna is now a research scholar at the Stanford Internet Observatory. Uh, and if you've been uh, reading anything on TechTurt over the past few weeks, uh, you'll know about the Earned Act because we've had a whole bunch of articles about it. Uh, the bill remains extremely dangerous in multiple different ways, some of which are somewhat confusing, uh, but it is so dangerous in so many different ways that we probably couldn't cover them all in a single post or maybe even a single podcast, so we'll see what we can do today. Uh, it is somewhat beyond frustrating that we need to keep having this discussion <laughs> uh, because it does not look like Congress learned anything at all from the last debate about the bill, and if anything... This version is, in some ways, I would say, even worse and more problematic than the version that we talked about two years ago. Uh, it's also, in many ways, more problematic than FOSTA, uh, which the bill partly emulates, and a lot of people have been referring to it as a, you know, another FOSTA, but I would argue that it's actually uh, significantly worse than FOSTA for a few, again, somewhat nuanced and somewhat complex reasons. Anyways, uh, there is a lot to talk about, but uh, Rihanna, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I would say thank you for having me, except I'm starting to think <laughs> that anytime I turn up, it's like a bad penny, you know, something yes. something well, bad is in the air if I'm here. Yes. I was going to say, I, I would like to have you back on the podcast at some point when it's, it's not to talk about how Congress is trying to destroy everything. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> here we are. That's that's your role. Um, so uh, let, let's start with the encryption part, uh, because I think that's uh, really important and is extremely frustrating, but also something that you focused pretty closely on uh, from both two years ago and today. So um, do you want to describe, because I think it's it's somewhat complex because there is a section there was not in the original bill but uh there were amendments and in this bill there is a section that if you read it without looking at it too closely looks like it says that this bill should not impact encryption uh and so do you want to can you talk to that point yeah, sure. So there had been considerable consternation from you and from me and from many others that by opening up the providers of interactive computer services um, to liability for the actions of their users, in curtailment of the general broad immunity for by Section 230 for that, um, specifically with respect to the transmission or hosting of child sex abuse material or CSAM on their services, there had been wide concern that this was a way of trying to hold companies accountable for daring to offer privacy and security and integrity protections to their users' communications and data through the use of encryption. Um, and as you noted, in the very earliest version of the bill, there wasn't any language to protect it at all. And so subsequently, the last time that we were recording together, uh, there had been a manager's amendment of the original bill version that instituted some language offered by Senator Leahy that was intended to keep uh, the, the offering of encryption from um, being the basis of, of a lawsuit or finding a violation of the federal criminal law uh, right. against CSAM. Instead, after that version had gotten out of the House and after 
just as we saw yesterday after there was a unanimous uh, passage out of markup in the Senate Judiciary Committee in the summer of 2020. Later on in the fall, the House introduced a companion version of the bill, which took out that Leahy language and inserted some even weaker protection um, for encryption. I'm happy to talk about the problems that I see even with the Leahy language, but the House version uh, was even less protective because what it said was that offering encryption shall not um, shall not serve as, quote, an independent basis for liability, unquote. And then also uh, made sure to throw in there to say that um, just because it can't be an independent basis for liability, evidence of uh, providing encryption or an encryption design can still be introduced into evidence in a court case, so long as that evidence is otherwise admissible. So the combination there is basically saying... Um, under the cover of, oh, we took the move to protect encryption, um, saying all that a clever plaintiff's lawyer or a state-level prosecutor has to do is to come up with some other pretextual reason why they are suing an ICS provider uh, besides the encryption. And then they can still use encryption to help show that uh, the provider should be uh, found liable um, for CSAM transmission on its service. So it's really no protection for encryption at all. And right. after, and you did a great job, Mike, of pointing this out in one of your many uh, furious blog posts <laughs> put out at, at breakneck lightning speed. Um, you do a good job of pointing out how um, Senator Blumenthal, one of the bill's sponsors, had consistently been denying that the bill was about attacking encryption over and over again. And yet when he reintroduced this bill, instead of having the Leahy language from the Senate, it has now the version that has just passed out of the Senate Judiciary Committee again. Um, it has this watered down language from the House in it as well. Um, and on the eve of markup, he spoke to a Washington Post reporter who asked him, isn't there stronger language to protect encryption in this bill? For example, you could envision language that says um, that evidence of encryption can only be introduced as a defense to liability, right? Rather than being introduced by either side, therefore allowing it to be introduced as a basis for proving liability or proving extenuating, you know, aggravating circumstances or what have you. Um, and Senator Blumenthal's response was that he did not want encryption to be used as a get out of jail free card. And so after so much time of consistently denying um, that this bill was about attacking encryption and trying to punish providers for offering encryption, now it's just actually right out there that it has always been about encryption all along. Uh, and he's finally admitted right. that he wants to make sure that uh, the providers of encrypted services can be punished for daring to do that, for protecting their users, both adults and children alike. Yeah, and and there's a few points here, and again, like some of this is subtle if you don't if you don't want to get down into the weeds on it, but it's important. So, like the the fact that it may not be an independent basis for liability, but can then be brought in as evidence is, you know, it it becomes almost meaningless because now the fact that you are using encryption can be a liability, and if it can be a liability, then it is it, it just by its very nature makes it more expensive and much more risky for any provider to offer encryption. So that alone, you know, will scare off many companies from from you know uh, providing encryption, end-to-end -end encryption on their service, because the, the the potential risk and liability associated with it is is much higher, even if it can't be independently an issue. And then, you know, the other point sort of related to that is that at the markup, as, as you've noted, uh, Blumenthal said, uh, more or less like, you know, we're, we don't want to use this to go after companies using encryption, just, you know, uh, just those who abuse encryption, which is like is is kind of a nonsense statement. <laughs> I I I don't know you know because I, I mean the simplest way of thinking about why that's a nonsense statement is like immediately anyone who goes to court will claim that any use of encryption, you know, is is an abuse of encryption, right? Especially if that encryption was was used to to for CSAM, right? Or if the encrypted communication was used to to transmit CSAM in one way or another, even if you know the 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 service in question, you know, 
ban, you know, didn't allow that. And obviously, you know, took efforts to not, not have CCM on its platform and, you know, properly reported it to NCMEC and whatever. Um, people are still going to claim that it's an abuse. And then you have to litigate the matter anyways. And as soon as you have to litigate the matter, you're talking about a, a lot of money uh, and therefore, again, increased liability and a lot of reasons not to use encryption. So the bill's about encryption. <laughs> the bill is about encryption. Well, and the bill, more than being about encryption, the bill is basically about trying to punish um, providers for basically operating some kind of internet-based service at all. Because, yeah. you know, as you as you just pointed out, offering encryption, the way encryption works is it encrypts both the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? right. There's no encryption that only magically works for legal, non-toss violating content, but magically, you know, refuses <laughs> to work and fails open for, uh, for one or the other category of abusive content. Um, so as you say, nobody's going to be, you know, bringing a lawsuit in court and saying, oh, but your use of encryption is fine. It's not abusive. Anybody who's <laughs> suing, the whole reason they're suing is right. because they think it was misuse, right? And that doesn't just apply to encryption. It applies to basically any of the basic ways that the internet works. When we're talking about holding providers liable under state law, under the standards of knowledge that may be as low as negligence or recklessness in allowing mm -hmm. their services to be used to transmit CSAM, that basically just means transmitting any kind of information could potentially be at issue because the things that enable the transmission and the storage and the proliferation of CSAM are the functions of the internet. The internet exists for people to communicate with each other, upload files and send files to each other. All of those things can be used to send cute pictures of cats, or they can be used to send the most abhorrent, abusive material you could ever imagine. Right. And that's just the way that the internet works. And so this is trying to, you know, curtail Section 230 immunity that has been crucial to enabling the flourishing of all of these online services by saying, well, but when those same core functions are misused for this particular category of material, you should be held liable uh, civilly and under under state criminal law. Um, yeah, and, and so, uh, go, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I just wanted to unpack a little bit the, the state law aspect of it, because again, this is sort of a, a, a narrow, nuanced down in the weeds, but really important point. And this is one of the ways in which Earned is is much more dangerous than than FOSTA. The the original version, well, there were a bunch of different versions of FOSTA, but but the one of the sort of original versions of FOSTA did have a similar provision, which was that it did open up state criminal law um, as it relates to sex trafficking to uh you know un under foster but it was changed so that it it had to meet the the same standards as as federal um sex trafficking law um and that was actually important because the standards from state to state differ greatly and in particular as you mentioned the knowledge standard right so you know in most cases um you know, the, the standard at the federal level is actual knowledge. You actually have to know that, that this content is on your uh, on your platform and then you have to deal with it. Um, whereas some states have standards that are much lower, like, you know, the, the negligence standard, for example, in which, you know, the, if it can be alleged that you should have known about this, then you can be in serious trouble. And so you have two different problems here. One is that you have 50 plus, if you count territories, uh, you know, different laws that you have to understand what the different standards are and and comply with them. Uh, and that is complex enough, especially on a, you know, internet that, that you know, you, you're not going to set up a different type of service or different rules for every state. So therefore, the, you know, most aggressive one <laughs> wins to some extent. Um, and then just the the fact that, you know, the, the states that do have the lower standard of knowledge, um, you know, m makes it impossible because if, if you get to that point where it's, it's a negligent standard, then anyone can, can allege that even if you, you've done all these things, even if you report the stuff that you do have knowledge of and you do all of the, you take all the right steps, the steps that are required under law and which most websites do comply with, um, they're still going to argue that you were negligent that you should have done more, that you should have come up with some sort of magic wand to stop bad people from using your service for bad things. Um, and then you have to fight it out in court. Even if you you know, can make a strong argument that you, you did everything right, you're still talking about a hugely costly lawsuit 
to to fight this. And that's because of the, you know, opening it up to every state standard. And in fact, this was also brought up at the markup. Uh, and and I believe it was Blumenthal also, again, who, who basically said, that's great. We want to have, you know, the different states, uh, you know, uh, approaching it with, with, you know, each one can do their own thing. So you have the, the uh, you know, the, the different experiments from each state. But that's, that's right. That's a- and he, not just that, but he also said, you know, there are some states that may have a higher standard closer to the federal right. actual knowledge standard. And there are some that have you know, a recklessness or a much lower standard. And he basically said, I sure do wish that other states would follow suit and lower right. their standards in their uh, in their states. You know, Mike, you know, the thing that this makes, makes this such a one-two punch is that the way that I phrase this is not only would this bill open up 50 state courthouse doors to civil actions and to state criminal charges. It also lowers the threshold in that right. entryway to make it easier uh, for uh, allegations to to cross over them. Um, and while that may sound like something that should be socially beneficial overall, you know, not only have you mentioned that it is difficult for any company, especially a smaller or nonprofit provider to uh, figure out what their obligations are, which may be in conflict and therefore incentivize them towards whoever the most conservative and punitive uh, standard would be. Um, But uh, over and beyond that, we're ignoring the elephant in the room of where's the DOJ on all this? (laughs) Yes. Why is it? There's something that's just really embarrassing about reading between the lines on why this bill is in you know is speeding through congress because yeah. there's a reporting law in the books either there isn't a problem with providers not reporting and violating their duties under existing federal criminal law which as listeners probably know has never been part of the section 230 immunity federal criminal law and federal intellectual property law have always been fully subject mm-hmm. to liability not immune um you know, if either there's not a problem and by and large providers are complying with their reporting obligations or there is a problem and the DOJ is asleep at the wheel because, you know, Mike, I've, I've tried doing some research to figure out, well, what is the status of enforcement of yeah. the federal law? It's called 18 U.S.C. 2258A that imposes obligations on providers to report CSEM that they have actual knowledge of on their services. And I couldn't find anything um, where there's any ever actually been any prosecutions for violating that law. And I don't know why that is. There are a number of possibilities, um, but none of those have been explored. Nobody seems to be asking the DOJ, why aren't you enforcing this law? Is there actually an epidemic of providers flouting their obligations? And if there isn't, what are we doing here? And if there is, why aren't we (laughs) turning to the DOJ to be the enforcer instead? Instead, it kind of sounds like the assumption on the part of the bill's sponsors is that they no longer expect federal law enforcement to do their jobs <laughs> right. and instead are saying, you know what, we're just going to delegate victims to be the only people in the room who are actually going to care enough to go after the companies who are supposedly uh, aiding in their revictimization. And that should yeah. be embarrassing. If you are yeah. a member of Congress, to stand up in front of all of, you know the committee chamber and basically you know shrug emoji, we're not <laughs> going to ask DOJ what they're doing. And you know the tragic thing is that this comes only a few months after the hearings that were held over the FBI's horrible falling down on the job with regard to the Larry Nassar abuse yeah. uh, allegations, where it turned out that the FBI had known for years about actual cases of horrible child sex abuse of some of our nation's gymnasts and had turned a blind eye and had lied about what the uh, brave girls who were coming forward to report this, what they were even telling the FBI. And, you know, there was not a dry eye in the house when there was... Um, Uh, testimony by some of those gymnasts um, before this same committee last September and where we saw the director of the FBI and where we saw, um, you know, a representative from the DOJ's internal watchdog, which had issued a report on this coming forth hat in hand to basically say they had really screwed this up and that it was a blight on the bureau that this had happened. And now here we are a few months later, and even though we have now seen conclusively that the federal government has been failing child sex abuse victims, now, apparently, there's something in the air about saying, 
I guess we just shouldn't expect the DOJ to be to be taking action anymore. <laughs> Let's just make victims do it themselves. And that's yeah. awful. And all of this, again, is assuming that there is even a problem with providers not complying with their reporting duties. If yeah. there is, I want to know who they are. You know, is it Telegram rather than Facebook, right? right. Is it uh, Getter rather than Google? Because that, I think, matters. Um, yeah. Not least because of the questions of why is there no enforcement, but also the questions about what the uh, the answer or the solution has to be. One of the proposals that we've seen through from the bill's um, proponents is, look, there are all these tools out there like PhotoDNA that many providers already use. In order to proactively and voluntarily look for this material on their services, why aren't there all of these, you know, why are there providers that still aren't doing that? And the answer to that, I think, has in part to do with the fact that these tools do exist, but they're only capable, some of them, of finding known items that are already in the database, uh, the hash database maintained by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, without being able to detect new content. And even so, you have some providers, especially some of these alts, um, that basically you know, don't seem to care and don't want to look and, you know, aren't looking because they don't have to and can't be forced to, as we can talk yeah. about under the, under the reporting law, but who also, because we have seen that there are some of these alts that are uh, proliferating that have basically allowed themselves to be used for the trading of this kind of content, as well as other kinds of just horrible abusive content uh, that has long since been driven off through terms of service uh, enforcement from other platforms. Um, that it's not clear to me that we can entrust tools such as PhotoDNA, which are not robust against being reverse engineered to figure out, you know, what what's in the database or how you can circumvent it, that those, you know, maybe should not be in the hands of some of these providers, because they are not all in the same position as a trillion dollar yeah. company that worries a lot about legal risk and is doing everything it can and putting a lot of resources into trying to detect uh, this material on its services. Um, it's not clear to me that we can, in fact, have everybody using the technologies that the good faith actors online are currently using. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, there's, there's so much I could dig into there. Right? It's just like, I mean, you know, photo DNA is like, right. So it's, it's, it's sort of run by Microsoft now. Um, and there are stories that, that I've heard um, of, of smaller companies, especially like trying to get access to it, to make use of it for their platforms and having, basically getting denied uh, by Microsoft the right to use it. And again, like, and, and for, for some of the reasons that you've said, like Microsoft wants to be careful about who has access to the photo DNA database, but that makes it tricky for especially smaller, smaller companies. But you also have to recognize that like, you don't want the bad actors to have access to it and where they can reverse engineer it and begin to do some some sketchy things with it. And there is some evidence that photo DNA has some problems in terms of the ability to reverse engineer it. There, it also apparently does have some problems with, with the ability for there to be false positives within the database um, and, and a few other problems. There are some other tools, like everybody just refers to photo DNA. That was sort of the first and most major and most well-known. There are other ones, I believe Google has its own tool. Cloudflare, uh, not that long ago, launched its own tool and, and made that more, much more widely available. And I think that's actually a, you know, a good thing, a, a good step forward in, in terms of fighting this type of content. Um, but th there's there are like real dangers and trade-offs. And then associated with that, which you, you sort of mentioned, but I think is, is worth exploring a little bit more deeply, is the fact that, that for a variety of reasons, Congress cannot well, should not and cannot mandate the use of such a filter um, for a, a, a wide variety of reasons. And yet, so they, they seem to be trying to tap dance around it uh, and saying that it's not a mandate because they know they can't actually have a mandate. But then, like, in their, their myths and facts document, basically admitting that it's a mandate and in the markup, basically admitting, like, their main complaint is that companies won't use services like PhotoDNA. And so they are admitting to the fact that they really are trying to mandate it. And that creates a whole bunch of other problems, uh, which I don't know. Do you want to talk about sort of the Fourth Amendment questions about yeah, that? Or? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. Um, and, you know, we, we did see during the markup that uh, the chair, uh, Senator Durbin, who's one of the bill's many sponsors, 
basically asked a pretty leading, what should have been a softball question to Senators <laughs> Graham and Blumenthal, which are the bill's main co-sponsors, to say, this isn't an affirmative monitoring mandate, right? And their response was, <laughs> well, this bill isn't, wink, wink, but the next bill we introduced certainly will be. And it's like, okay, number, neither part of that is good. You could have, all, you could have stopped right. at just you know, giving him the answer he was clearly fishing for, which is to try and create something in the congressional record to disclaim uh, something that is not actually, there's no disclaimer in the bill um, itself to say this is not imposing an affirmative mandate to go and monitor and filter. And the reason for that is, as you had said, because of the Fourth Amendment. Um, We've been talking about that federal law that um, imposes reporting duties um, for what CSAM uh, provider ends up having actual knowledge of. Um, That law does have a provision in it that says nothing in this law uh, is meant to be interpreted as an affirmative duty to go um, monitor and scan. And that's important because the whole edifice on which the current day state of affairs rests, where we have a lot of providers that are voluntarily scanning and using photo DNA and other tools to do that is resting on a very delicate legal balancing act where the key concept is the voluntariness concept. Um, you know, there are so much resources and effort that gets put into voluntarily looking for CSAM, reporting it as required, um, because the federal law says you have to report it if you find it, but you don't have to go looking. And that's not something that was just an oversight in the law that they forgot to put in. It's because the Fourth Amendment protects Americans against warrantless searches and seizures. When the government pushes a private actor, such as a social media company, to search somebody's private communications or their files, that turns the private actor into an arm of the government. And so that means that the search, the scanning that they do, is no longer the voluntary act of a private company anymore. Instead, it's a warrantless search by a government agent. And in prosecutions of criminal defendants, courts will throw out evidence that has been obtained in violation of the Fourth Amendment, as well as any other evidence that uh, is, we we call this the fruit of the poisonous tree, where if the original search was illegal and that led to uh, evidence that in turn led to more evidence, uh, then all of that has to get suppressed as well because of the unlawfulness of that initial search. And so if tech companies get pressured by Earnit into searching their users' content for CSAM, into implementing scanning that they previously had chosen not to do, then if they do turn up files by implementing those scanning techniques, um, those files will get thrown out in evidence against those offending users when they get prosecuted in court, which means that the defendants may walk free. So the whole goal of this bill is to try and bring more child sex abuse offenders to justice, but these Fourth Amendment deficiencies mean that by pressuring um, companies Companies into doing something they have so far elected not to do, it will backfire at that central goal and may result in fewer convictions for this right. heinous crime because of, as you say, this, this Fourth Amendment issue that they've been trying to dance around, but where, you know, for all that they try and put something on the record to, you know, have leading questions by Senator Durbin, or nevertheless, you have things like the, the, the myths and facts document that was circulated along with the bill by its sponsors that complains over and over again about how it's really scanning that they want. And so all of the statements they, they were making during the markup about how this is what they would like to see everything that's in that document, that's all going to be introduced and attached as evidence, attached to a motion to suppress the moment that there is a case brought against somebody who gets uh, ensnared in a scanning tool that only gets added by providers who are terrified of ruinous legal liability as a result of this bill. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny, you know, especially given Blumenthal's comment that he, you know, doesn't want encryption to be a get out of jail free card, that I think that the, the Fourth Amendment potential problems with this bill could be an almost literal get out of jail free card for for the actual abusers you know it's that's right that's right there there was a great um there was a very good um op-ed in slate today yeah today being uh friday the 11th that said exactly that and and that's exactly right ironically enough it's going to be a get out of jail free card um 
for, for the for the actual the, abusers. Yes, like, the, for the, the abusers the, themselves. Like no matter no matter what you think about how some platforms work and and whether they could do a better job, like fair enough. But like I think everybody can agree that the the really really problematic people are the actual abusers, and yet this this gives them a way to suppress evidence, uh, and, and that seems like it should be a really really big deal. Right. Um, I mean, the, the, we've we've been talking about you know this the the goal of the bill is child safety. It doesn't do anything to help that. Right. It's punitive rather than helpful. Not only does it have this Fourth Amendment deficiency that is going to backfire in court, it doesn't have any resources you know being given in it that would actually help out either to provide more resources to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is completely snowed under as is with the volume of reports that they already get voluntarily. It doesn't provide additional resources for law enforcement to help out the, you know, state, tribal and federal level uh, law enforcement agencies that are tasked with trying to do investigations of this material. It has some, you know, uh, nibbling around the edges, like doubling the retention period when providers have to keep uh, this evidence after they've reported it. Uh, because of this huge backlog that takes so slow to wend its way to whoever the actual you know endpoint law enforcement agency is who would have jurisdiction over it. Um, but it's not providing any help, not only on the investigative side, but also on the prevention side, right. where there are reasons you know underlying. It's not as though this is just some natural phenomenon like lightning about which we are helpless. <laughs> um, there are underlying reasons, you know, poverty, housing insecurity and homelessness, uh, you know, queer phobia and transphobia by uh, parents against their own children that creates the conditions that leave children vulnerable to exploitation. And this bill doesn't do anything about those things either. You know, we've heard again and again that Senators Blumenthal and Graham will say, oh, people keep talking about how law enforcement needs more resources and that's all well and good. But what about this bill? And it's like, you could just put that in this bill. You know, Senator Wyden has an alternative bill that does exactly that, that does everything this bill does not do without attacking Section 230. And yet, those concerns about like, why aren't you helping NCMEC? Why aren't you helping uh, DOJ? You know, if they're already not doing enforcement, is it because they need help here? None of that is in this bill, never has been. And, you know, they had a year and a half between the last time we talked in the summer of 2020 and now to fix those things. They haven't fixed any of them. Yeah. And, and I, I want to, this touches on the points that we were just talking about, but I want to go back a little bit further also to something that was raised earlier, which is like, there is this underlying sort of assumption built into all of this, that, that there is some problem here that, that, you know, and, and when you try and drill in on what is the actual problem, you get sort of uh, ever changing stories, right? So is the problem that there are platforms who are not reporting the content as required by law? And, and they sort of say, yes, and and in fact, you know, one of the arguments that I've seen made uh, by by both the the bill sponsors and some of the just general supporters of Earn It is that uh, companies have no incentive to to report this stuff, which is is wrong. Like they have, they have plenty of incentive, which is like serious criminal penalties if they don't report it, if if they know about it. Um, and then, like in the very next sentence, they then point to the many millions of reports to to NCMEC, which seems to, you know, uh, debunk their, their, the first point that there's no incentive to report it and that companies aren't reporting it enough. Now, there, there could be arguments that there are some companies that aren't doing the reporting that is necessary. But again, that gets back to a point that you raised much earlier in the podcast, which is like, Shouldn't shouldn't the Justice Department be doing right. something about that? Should, we we have existing law in place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we have existing law in the books that if this is a problem, that law is not getting enforced. If there are scattered violations here and there by you know, as you like to say, doing moderation at scale one hundred percent perfectly is literally impossible. Right. And so, if the allegation is that there have been uh, occasional scattered failures by companies that otherwise are trying, um, then that right. seems like something that can be redressed under the existing law, uh, which is not barred by Section 230 from being enforced by DOJ. If there is some rogue provider out there that just thumbs its nose at all of its obligations under existing law, again, the remedy can be brought under existing law. Or you can envision saying, um, 
adding a time frame into the law to say you have to report within X number of right. hours or days, similar to the kinds of proposals we see for other types of abusive content coming out of Europe, for example. Or you could envision doubling the penalties currently on the books for failing to report, which I think is 150000 for a first time and $300,000 uh, after that, um, to try and, as you say, uh, up the incentive that already right. exists under the law to not right. be fined uh, you know, six figures uh, any time that, that you don't report. But there doesn't seem to be very interest in figuring out why is what is it about existing law that's not working? And so instead, yeah. you know, there's this widespread anger that providers aren't doing something they cannot legally be forced to do. And right. we're kind of using a little bit of misdirection here to say that the problem is Section 230, when in fact, I think the thing that these lawmakers really hate is the Fourth Amendment, you know, <laughs> right. um, much less their own law that they have already passed that they have to tweak very carefully, lest they cross that line and bring the whole edifice down that all rests on the voluntariness right. of, of these actions. And, you know, going back to that Fourth Amendment problem, it seems like this is a, a bill that will not incentivize any changes at most if it is true what they say, that providers who are already robustly looking for and reporting this content uh, won't have any problems under this bill. Then the bill doesn't move the needle as to them. They're already doing everything uh, supposedly uh, that the bill sponsors want them to do. But for anybody who has chosen until now not to affirmatively go and look, who is forced, has their hand forced by this bill to go and look, then it backfires as to them, as we were saying. So the bill only goes in <laughs> the wrong direction. Right. The very fact that the pressure campaign works will itself be the reason why it is constitutionally unsound. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I've said this on Twitter, like the, the way that courts faced with challenges uh, by CSAM defendants who say the reporting law as it exists um, is already unconstitutional. This is, uh, you know, converting the provider that that caught me uh, into a state actor, and this was a warrantless search. You know, they they rely very heavily on getting affidavits from uh, representatives of whoever the provider was, whether it's you know AOL or Google or Dropbox mm -hmm. or whoever, that say we do this voluntarily. We choose to do this because we don't want this stuff on our right. on our platform. We do this on our own recognizance. And as I said, I don't know that the bill sponsors have given a lot of thought to what an affidavit from Moxie Marlinspike, the dreadlocked anarchist creator of Signal, <laughs> might say. Because any provider who is being forced into doing this, where previously they'd chosen not to, and but for this law, right. would not have chosen to scan, but it's only because of government pressure and coercion that they're doing this, why wouldn't they just say that? in an right. affidavit, in these suppression motions. <laughs> Indeed, what else could they say? If right. their hand is being forced, it would be perjury for them to say they're doing it voluntarily. And right. so uh, it, it seems like if all that you are relying on is that the people you're forcing to do something they have chosen not to do and didn't <laughs> well, want they to commit do. Perjury. <laughs> Yeah, well, then, you know, basically <laughs> go along with your polite fiction that this is all voluntary. Right. It's really, you know, it's it would be funny if it weren't so serious that right, they're really right. just playing with fire and that, you know, Congress is willing to roll the dice with child sex offenders. Yeah. That's the outcome here. And we've seen the horrible failure of Graham and Blumenthal's previous law that amended Section 230, the FOSTA bill, um, right. to the degree that there is already a bill in Congress that some other members of Congress have proposed to try and study the horrible blast radius that that bill created and whether maybe we ought to think about taking it back and repealing it. Um, and my fear is that if this bill passes and we do have these kinds of successful suppression motions and there are offenders walking free as a result of the Earn It bill, that it will still be in the interest of the bill's sponsors clothing themselves as the champions of child safety and justice to simply ignore that and right. declare victory, mission accomplished, and move on when in fact all they've done is make it worse. Yeah, and actually, I mean, it's incredible to me, but but that is what the the um, some of the other sponsors of uh, of FOSTA have done. Um, there was I don't even remember how far back, maybe a year ago or so, um, there was a This American Life where they sort of looked at FOSTA. It was actually a very good episode. It didn't get very much attention, um, and uh, they went and spoke to. I, I'm, uh, I think it was Claire McCaskill, um, who had been in the Senate and had been a, a, a major. Um, force behind FOSTA 
um, and like just laid in front of her like all this evidence of how bad it was. And she's like, I don't believe it. Uh, you know, the yeah. bill was good. Uh, it did, you know, it, the whole thing was we were trying to stop sex trafficking and we passed the bill and we did it. And and the, the reporter's like, no, but, but like, look at all of this harm it's done. And she's like, no, I, I don't buy it. And, so, and, and you could see that same sort of thing happening here, even as like, you know, actual sex offenders are going free. I mean, it's, it's right. just horrifying. Even in the markup yesterday, there were several senators, like Chuck Grassley, for example, who said, you know, we're here today to talk about Earn It. And I was a proud sponsor of FOSTA the last time, as right. though that were something to be proud about. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think the reality distortion field seems to be very strong. That, um, and, and here, you know, there's a great essay uh, by uh, Harvard Law legal scholar Kendra Albert, where they write about how FOSTA's quote-unquote unintended consequences yes. for sex workers and harming sex workers were never really unintended at all. It is yes. the bill working as designed. I think it would be pretty hard here to say setting sex offenders free is, <laughs> right. you know, the the whole raison d'etre for, for this bill. It's totally easy to see why Congress might shrug off harm that comes to a population that is already criminalized and marginalized while at the same time white knighting to try and portray themselves as being the saviors of those same people yes. as the captain savahos of the senate but um <laughs> here i think it would be much more difficult uh to especially if it's not just oh i'm not going to believe the words of sex workers saying that they right. were put in physical danger because of this law if we have courts on the record issuing opinions that say right. this law is why this evidence is being suppressed and the, these charges right. are getting dropped that will be i would like to think a little harder to just dismiss out of hand as being yeah. unbelievable or untrustworthy in the way that sex worker and other marginalized voices can easily be dismissed out of hand yeah one other thing, and we've sort of touched on this, but I did want to dig in a little bit. And it it hasn't been so you know part of the point that we've raised a few times here in this discussion is like it's unclear exactly who they think is the bad actor. Um, but I do think there was this sort of very weird and and uh, hint in the myths and facts document that I think is worth exploring because it, it, it says a lot towards the surveillance aspect, not just about the encryption, but the surveillance, and not, and not even just about the mandate. But the the surveillance aspect of this bill, which is that the myths and facts document more or less says like Facebook is great, which is weird because that's not what they said originally with the Earned Act. With the original Earned Act, they sort of pointed to Facebook as a bad actor. But here they're saying like this won't this won't do anything to Facebook because Facebook is a good actor. However, Amazon is like this awful offender because uh, you know it has only reported a much smaller amount of CSAM. Than Facebook, and so like the immediate response, I think, should be like that's apples and oranges, right? I mean, you have two very different companies. One is a social media company that that hosts all sorts of user uploaded content, and one is you know mostly a store, you know, uh, that, I mean, that doesn't. It's many things, right? It's yes. not it's not a social media platform like Facebook is. But, you know, I read that and I noticed that too. And every so often, you know, in the New York Times September 2019 article that may have kicked off the whole impetus mm -hmm. for this bill, you know, there's a brief mention of Amazon and how Amazon doesn't have a lot of reports. Amazon is this huge conglomerate of other right. things. Even since that point in time, there are certainly services within the Amazon umbrella that you can sure. see being implicated here. They own the enterprise, you know, business-oriented end-to-end encrypted app Wicker now. Yep. Um, and you know, end-to-end -end encrypted messaging has clearly always been one of the targets for this bill, but this doesn't seem to be about Wicker. They right. own Twitch. I don't even want to think about what horrible stuff goes on over yes. Twitch live streams where you could absolutely, uh, you know, be looking at them and saying, what are you guys doing about, about trust and safety for children on your platform and grilling them about that. But this doesn't seem to be about Twitch. Um, it seems to be about expecting that there needs to be proactive surveillance to scan Every AWS, you know, instance, yes. every EC2 instance out there, which is yes. the huge part of the business that, you know, as far as I know, is an absolutely massive chunk of Amazon's overall profits is having AWS. And right. what that basically is saying is, you know, we really expect this company to spy on all of the government customers because they have a special GovCloud on all of the enterprise customers 
anybody who just has a hobbyist, you know, small AWS instance where they pay a couple bucks a month for the tiny amount of computing power that they need, it's very troubling to see that uh, there's this openness about moving the point where the surveillance is expected to be added ever mm -hmm. lower in the stack, um, you know, yeah. from saying, oh, the problem is public posts on social media or the, to the problem is people are having private conversations and we need to monitor people's private conversations with each other more. And now saying it's not even about, uh, you know, the actual company itself. It's about the company that provides services to the other company. Uh, right. And it reminds me of, um, you could probably explain this better than I, than I could, the, the lawsuits that we've seen under FOSTA against like MailChimp and Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that heralds something similar that we could expect here of these kind of like tertiary liability almost expectations that just seem to be trying to make pervasive surveillance go deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. I mean, just finding anyone sort of in the stack that you can go after. And I, I think, you know, just to drive this point home even more, this this part concerns me a lot, especially because, you know, there is a, a big shift, which, you know, people sort of take for granted this point, which is, you know, it used to be all of your data on your computer were stored on the hard drive. But increasingly, that's not true. Increasingly, we have, you know, cloud backup services, whether it's iCloud or Google Drive or an Amazon instance or, you know, everything is moving to the cloud, which was like the the vision like 20 years ago, but it's finally actually happening. Um, and and what there seems to be the, the underlying thing that they don't say outright because it would freak people out is anything that you store in the cloud should be scanned and and the companies that are providing the underlying technology should be constantly scanning everything that you save and if it is any way a problem it should be reporting it to the government and when you think about it that way suddenly it's like we need to be able to constantly go through your papers right right <laughs> with with that, cloud that has being the tip of the spear yeah right exactly and and that has has really really serious implications and the idea that like you know, you can make the argument that like uh, another service provider that uses Amazon for the back end, like, yes, they have responsibilities. And if they provide some sort of social media service or some sort of communication service and they have knowledge of CCM on it, they have reporting requirements and they have all this stuff that they need to do. And maybe they should be looking into things like photo DNA and other projects in order to to you know, improve their own service and protect it against this kind of having this kind of content on there as much as they can prevent it. But to say that the, the, that Amazon itself should be scanning all of it, you know, which is effectively what they're saying goes way beyond anything that we've seen before and should be considered really, really scary and very, very problematic. It's really ominous. Um, I found that worrying. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Amazon is being painted in this myths versus facts document as the goofus with Facebook yes. as the gallant. And that I also find troubling. You know, yeah. Facebook has gone all in on end-to-end -end encryption by default being the dream, where they're working diligently towards uh, having end-to-end -end encryption by default across all of their messaging services, not just WhatsApp, um, and making it easier for users of those various services to, to talk to each other across them. Um, and yet, you know, while they've been doing that, that is part of what got them castigated and torn <laughs> yes. apart by these very same members of Congress the last time around and hauled up in front of the Judiciary Committee and yelled at um, a couple of years ago, right before the first version of this bill got introduced. And so all along, it seemed like it was about Facebook. And then right. suddenly for Facebook to be paying as the good guy is very worrisome to me because it's still fresh, I think, in both of our minds that Facebook didn't about face on the set during the SESTA FOSTA debate and came yeah. out in support of it. Um, and that effectively, that was the end of it. Uh, any, any resistance that had been built up to trying to keep that bill from getting passed in its weird zombie Frankenstein combo, uh, you know, way <laughs> yes. that it ultimately did, um, basically, you know, evaporated. And that was what turned the tide. Um, the bill got passed. Facebook itself has been sued, you know, under, yes. under FOSTA, uh, because it's not just, uh, others besides them who've been exposed to liability under it. But there's now, I personally am really worried that we are about to see a similar move from Facebook here, notwithstanding the fact that they now have, uh, this commitment to private 
spaces that they right. keep talking about at the same time that we see Mark Zuckerberg talking about, well, people want, you know, private spaces and we want it to be more like a living room. At the same time, Facebook has a whole ad campaign uh, talking about how, oh, it's really time to re-examine Section 230 and implement uh, regulations uh, to make sure that there's a responsible experience on the internet. They're perfectly fine with amending Section 230. Right. And so I'm just kind of counting down the minutes until uh, Facebook comes out and says we support the Internet Act bill. And, you know, I, I think we both probably know a lot of people who work diligently towards protecting user privacy yeah. within Facebook, yeah. um, who I'm sure are probably fighting tooth and nail right now to keep that from happening uh, because the D.C. public policy team for Facebook, frankly, cannot be trusted <laughs> not to pull a FOSTA and throw everybody under the bus again. Um, yeah. So, you know, in addition to you know, this is this comment is directed towards everybody listening to this, not only uh, you know, if you are a U.S. citizen of voting age uh, to contact your representatives in, in the Senate and in the House and tell them that you oppose this bill, but also to speak up and tell Facebook um, and put some public pressure there to say, like, there are literally probably ha almost half the population of the, of the world that uses some Facebook service or other, including, you know, several billion who just use WhatsApp alone. Right. So it's not just even about Americans, it's about the whole planet uh, relying on Facebook not to betray uh, its users um, and potentially undermine their own encryption or, you know, for all we know, just sally forth and continue offering the strong encryption that they have and strengthening it while betting that they can absorb the cost of litigation that will ensue yeah. from opening up the, the courthouse door by amending Section 230 and betting that it will have a more ruinous effect on smaller, uh, shallower pocketed competitors than it will on them. So I think it's also a matter of, of standing up um, and, and telling the services that you use that you expect them to be, you know, vociferously opposing the Earn It bill, um, as, as well as contacting your senators and members of the House. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to close this out, like that is actually really important. I know a lot of people are sort of, uh, I don't know if cynical is the right word or just sort of resigned that the, this bill is, you know, is, is going to pass, you know, it, it, it breezed through the markup, but that was kind of expected. Um, it doesn't, it, it, you know, it doesn't need to pass. And, and speaking up actually does matter. Um, you know, calling senators, calling, uh, you know, your, your representative in the House, um, senators especially, I mean, at this point, the Judiciary Committee doesn't matter as much because it's, it's, it's passed out of that committee, but still, uh, that does help. Uh, and letting them know that there are problems with this bill. Um, like, it, it actually does matter. Phone calls, uh, if you're willing to do them, can, can make a huge difference. Emails actually do make a difference. Um, like actually hearing from constituents, believe it or not, I know like some people don't believe it. It actually does have an impact. Especially uh, for something like this, where as yeah. soon as you say the words child safety, it's kind of like terrorism where rational yes. thinking and reason <laughs> debate just go out the window and it is really, really difficult for members yeah. of Congress to give even the most tepid criticism yeah. of a bill like this because it's so easy for them to be branded as on the side of the child abusers and helping the child abusers. So they really need to hear from people that they do oppose this bill and that their members of Congress should oppose it and vote against it in order to help them uh, gain some intestinal fortitude um, and, and be able to to say like that it's not just all, you know, smooth sailing and that everybody wants them to uh, to pass this and that everybody still falls for the line about, you know, it's it's about child safety when there are these not just very real concerns about free speech, about privacy, about security, but about child safety, <laughs> exactly. you know, and actually the, the goal of the bill that really need to be addressed and that are a reason to say like there may still be problems with the proliferation of this content online but this is not the right solution to it yeah yeah all right well on that note i think we'll wrap up this podcast but but thank you uh this we, we there, there's lots to talk about with this bill you know we've done a bunch of posts i have more posts coming i think on this bill uh it's it's just it's really bad it's it's ridiculously bad and every time i go through it again i, I realize some other element that's that is bad about it i call um, it fractally bad yes 
it is it is absolutely fractally bad but uh thank you for for walking through many of the ways in which it is it is so bad uh and uh thanks for for taking the time uh, i know i always learn stuff talking to you and and reading your write-ups as well and uh you know there there's there's so much <laughs> so much awfulness uh but also thanks to everyone for listening and uh, we'll be back next week Someone will get hurt to grab a shovel and dig up the tech.